Life Audio. Hey, welcome to the fifth Gospel Rant Christmas podcast for 2022, a different kind of Christmas pageant. We're taking up the challenge of shining new light, uh, telling the gospel of Jesus Christ in a new way, using characters in the typical Christmas pageant. Uh, Listen, push back. I encourage it. Bill at gospel-app.com. Welcome to the Gospel Rant Merry Christmas from Gospel App Ministries. And again, it's pretty easy, actually, to rant about the popular presentation of the Christmas story. It's been told and retold. Uh, You know, our eyes kind of glass over. We're no longer really, really, really looking at the nativity scene. Uh, And with regard to the Magi, who we're talking about today, it's usually three boys. And by the way, that's changing now, too. Um, They come with three pillows with little itty-bitty boxes on them, and they're singing Little Drummer Boy. Didn't happen. I'm just saying, didn't happen. Um, by the way, that was my first solo as a young boy. I was wise man number two, and wise man number one froze and forgot his song, so I did his part and rescued the whole pageant. Well, anyway, that's 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 my story. That's how I'm telling it. <laughs> look, the truth is that the Magi, unnamed, we <laughs> look that that's that represents something when you're doing biblical narrative. If they're unnamed, that tells you something about their shame their stigma, their alienation. They, they weren't honorable enough to even be named. But listen, because of that, remember we just finished Mary, they represent something bigger than just what they did. What's the gospel for alienated magi? We'll say more about that, okay? But first, a word from our sponsors. We'll see you in a minute. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Okay, welcome back. Let me read about the mysterious visitors from the east, Matthew 2, 1 to 16. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. Boy, that's an understatement. And all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, meaning he demanded they show up now, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. Interesting question from a king. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, 
are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Whew, bad news for Herod. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Well, our question was, who were these guys or guys and ladies? We don't know that either. In, in many ways, we're just unsure of so much, but there are clues. In spite of tradition, there's no reason to think there were just three or that we have any idea what their names were. We don't know a thing about them. We don't know their country of origin. We're speculating. Uh, some speculate. Uh, this is interesting that they were actually wealthy Jews who remained and thrived in the former Persian Empire, now Parthia. After the exile, right? The Jews were exiled by Babylon and Persia and Assyria. Uh, that is now in, in, in Jesus' time, Parthia. So these were wealthy Jews who said, hey, this, now's the time. Uh, but I got to tell you, I think Matthew would have noted that. I think that would have been an important part, particularly for Matthew. You know what I mean? Here's what we know they came from the East. What was to the east? Well, largely up the shattered Parthian Empire. So at this time, the vast, former vast Parthian Empire, I guess it was still, it covered lots of geography. It covered much of today's Syria, Iraq, Iran. So the Parthian Empire, vast from the Black Sea to Bactria near India. It was an embarrassing demise, right? Like all great empires eventually, it's gravity. They were highly decentralized. They were divided into seven divisions, a poor standing army. They were at odds with surrounding tribes, for instance, the Scythians. And, and then, of course, the Roman Empire to the west. They had fallen long way down from the glory of the, the great Persian Empire of old. They had a, a peace treaty with Augustus, a peace accord, but you know how those are. So I imagine they felt uh, vulnerable and embarrassing. By the way, Herod had embarrassingly defeated them only 30 years before to become the king of the Jews. They were now former shadows of what was almost former unreachable heights of glory in the Babylonian Empire, the Assyrian Empire, the great Persian Empire. So imagine, I think, I think this is good, I don't want to offend anybody, but imagine the once great British Empire. I mean, today, it's, it's just a a shadow of its former worldwide glory. Makes sense. So uh, the Parthian Empire, the former Parthian Empire, crushed the northern and southern kingdoms of the Jew a half a millennia before. But now, I don't think they could do it. They're just a coalition of struggling countries financed largely by the, the spice road that cut across their empire. I've said something about that in a previous podcast. In Daniel, the Old Testament book, 
Uh, we see the word magi twice in the Septuagint, the Greek translation, in Daniel 2.2 and 2.10. The NIV is a bit inconsistent in rendering magu as enchanter or conjurer, respectively. The Hebrew equivalent is asaf, which maybe means quiver, speculation that they used arrows for divination, but we don't know. Uh, they attended the king in his court. They provided wisdom through scientific, philosophical, ritualistic, magical means. In Daniel's time, they were lumped together with magicians, sorcerers, astrologers, wise men, diviners. Uh, and look, the roles and just blur. In, in Acts, the sorcerer Alimus is described as a magon. So who are they? Uh, by the way, just this is interesting, I think. I'm going to toss out this possibility here. I'm not going to go with it, but I find it really interesting. Uh, people from the East, they may have been from the other empire near Judea, the Nabataeans, Herod's people. Um, and why? Because the only thing that sort of makes this interesting is the Nabataeans had a virtual monopoly on high-quality frankincense and myrrh, and not to mention gold from the Arabia Peninsula, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Familiar? Um, uh, here we go. We want to make sure that you're educated, just in case you're on Jeopardy. There were a wide variety and types of incense. There's the golden brown frankincense imported from India in the Far East. That's poor man's incense. It's inexpensive, burned in homes and houses of worship for its aromatic qualities. It does have some additional values. Then there's a transparent and more oily incense that's really cheap, sold for a few denarii, a pound from Eastern Africa. And another mid-range quality of frankincense that's cherished for its lemony scent from parts of Arabia. It comes from Nabataean caravans from Arabia along the Transjordanian King's Highway through modern Jordan, and then across northern Galilee into Capernaum. But the highest quality and by far the most expensive frankincense grows exclusively in the southern Arabian kingdom of Hadramot, the country of frankincense, some call it. The demand for this expensive product extends from the courts and temples of India and China to the emperor palace in Rome. Everybody wanted this. The Hadramotians smartly entered an exclusive trade relationship with the Nabataean kingdom, which included northwest sections of Arabia, southern wilderness of Judea, much of the Jordanian, uh, Transjordan region east of Judea and Galilee. So they would have been able to come from the east. Are you with me? So if Magi brought to Jesus the best frankincense one way or another, it came by way of the Nabataeans. They either sold it to the Parthian Magi or, or speculation, they brought it themselves. Right, So the Nabataeans, even though they were geographically southeast of Jerusalem, they would have come from the King's Highway through Moab to Damascus, and then on the Royal Road from Damascus to Jerusalem. Then they would have been seen as coming from the east, right? Could be. And I love it, but, you know, until we know different, I'm going to suggest the Magi really came from the, uh, uh, the shamed, shredded Parthian co coalition of countries and people groups. All right? Uh, but have some fun with that. What were the Magi up to? Oh, and by the way, Herod's response to them, I mean, the, he was he had Nabataean roots, so I don't think he would have responded the same way. Maybe, eh, we'll see. So what were they up to? Well, diplomats, like the Magi, were, uh, at least, they were carriers of official state messages. They spoke for the sender. They represented him or her fully. And as they spoke, it was as if the sender spoke. 
in the ancient Near East, some called them seers or seru, meaning the ones sent, the ones who then return with messages from the, from the other king. Uh, you could call them the high ones. They brought word of the sender's intention, whether it was war or peace or submission. It was good diplomacy to send Seru when you get good news that a king had a child, uh, a great king had a child, an heir to the throne. We have examples in archaeology uh, of ambassadors going to the king of Babylon upon the birth of the king's son and heir to the throne. Right Again, Parthian. The scribe would have documented what was said. All ambassadors of all lands used to pass before your father, so they may pass before the king's son, the new king, for a thousand years. You can get the sense of submitting and honor. They would bring gifts that were appropriate. Do a king, do a great king, and to his new son, the, the future king. The gifts were important. These audience gifts expose your intentions. How much are you going to honor this baby. How much do you really honor the father? Um, the father's watching closely. Who comes and who doesn't and, and what gifts they bring. But the, this diplomacy, in this case, the, the Magi, you know, it's very curious because first of all, Herod didn't have a newborn. He had many sons, three of them, his oldest sons, he's going to assassinate in just a matter of months after this, and all were adults. There were no newborn sons that Herod knew about. <laughs> Awkward. And maybe they didn't know. Maybe they didn't know if it was Herod or Herod's sons when they inquired of Herod. Maybe. And look, it had to be an uncomfortable scene when they showed up in Herod's throne room. And, and these wise men were probably politically wildly savvy. Um, that's what they did for a living. And no wonder they didn't return to Herod because they got it that this was bad diplomacy, not only bad diplomacy, but it was dangerous for them. Herod's reputation of popping into a rage, murderous rage, was certainly internationally known. So, so back to the gifts. More than likely, these gifts were extravagant, not a pillow or three pillows, but maybe not even three camels, more than likely a impressive caravan with spices, uh, deeply expensive spices and and gold. By the way, the spices and gold were equivalent in value. So you might ask, what did Joseph and Mary do? It's kind of a sidebar here with all the wealth. Well, I'm guessing these, they sustained the persecuted couple in Egypt. I would imagine, I hope, uh, that they would use the money to help others who fled from Herod's wrath, but I'm, I'm guessing, mere conjecture. So gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Uh, gifts do a mighty king. That's the message. This is the mighty king being born, the king of the Jews. And so here's the scene. Likely sometime after the birth, think a couple of years, but still in Bethlehem, Mary and Joseph and all Bethlehem watch as something wonderful, as dangerous as happening this afternoon. This is not a subtle visit. Uh, the point for it was to be noticed. It was to publicly glorify the king, the king's son. A formal entourage of Seru from the east, so magnificent, came with caravan of audience gifts suited for a great king, and they come to the cradle. Okay, wait, nope, <laughs> cut that, uh, edit that. Probably not the cradle. This is, they probably came, we believe, when Jesus was one years old or two years old at tops, probably in a home nearby somewhere in, in Bethlehem, because that's where they were told to go. Okay, but anyway, 
um, they bowed face to the ground publicly and worshipped the toddler. And they said, they proclaimed him as the king of the Jews, the great king of the Jews. All right. Remember, these were high-level government and scientific officials. Think think, uh, Washington staffers. Uh, Full regalia, full formality. I wonder what the innkeeper thought now. (laughs) So anyway, all right. This is a good place as any to put a commercial break. Uh, Don't run out and buy gifts from them, uh, presents from them yet uh, until you finish the podcast. We'll see you in a minute. Much more to come. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. All right. Uh, bottom line, what are we to make of the Magi of Matthew 2? So I'm suggesting that we think of them as high-level government officers. Think secretaries of state or intelligence officers. Uh, these were people who bounced around the upper echelons of governments. They were ambassadors who were just free to travel freely on government business. You don't pick on them. You don't mess with them because you could start a war. It's that level. If they did come from Parthia, they would have likely been Zoroastrian. Uh, They could have been Jewish, but they likely would have been Zoroastrian. And so religious adherents, uh, they worshipped one deity. I mean, not the the Jewish deity, but one deity. They were likely power brokers in their respective diminished nations. Maybe they came from multiple nations. But the idea is that, uh, you know, their authority and power wasn't what it used to be because their countries were diminished. And ambassadors, when they traveled... They were usually on specific missions and spoke specifically for their king or queen, and therefore for their kingdoms. How did they know what they were doing? Well, a bit of a mystery. We're told in the Bible they were following a star. I uh, won't go into that science, not in this podcast. Very interesting stuff, though. And they were told to go and find and worship. Somehow they, were, they got it that it was the king of the Jews. Assuming they were sent by Parthia or one of the Parthian countries, it would have been a ridiculously bold move for, uh, for, for them to come to honor any official of Rome. 
look, they were at political odd. They were enemies of Rome. That's, I'm just going to cut to the chase. And, and they lived in constant fear of Rome's expansionary desires. They were under a peace accord with Augustus, but you know, that's paper. And still, to go to the enemy of Rome to acclaim a new king, think of that. Think how dangerous that is. It would have also been shocking to come and worship, even if it was Herod's newborn child. Remember, he definitely saw the Parthians as enemies, and listen to this, threat to his power. They had regularly tried to undermine the power of Herod, the throne of Herod. And we know what he does to people who are a threat. These people were threats. And the stated goal? To worship the new king of the Jews. Oh my goodness, Herod would not have taken that well. And worship, uh, that's a loaded word. Proscuneo, among the lands of the east, describes an act of obeisance, submission to a greater party. You prostrate yourself, you touch the ground with one's forehead, or you kiss the feet or the hem of the garment of the one of higher rank. Hold that thought, by the way. It was an act of honor, but also an act of submission to a great patron benefactor king. Surprisingly, the king of the Jews. I'm going to suggest that this would have been appropriate maybe uh, to, to bring a gift to the son of Augustus. <clears throat> um, oh, we're not going to go there right now. It's okay, but that would have been appropriate, likely, but still strange because they were the Parthians. So, But the Jews? King of the Jews? Really? How embarrassing to, to their kings. And the Magi's, the Jews, historically were those pesky people who they had handily conquered 600 years before uh, when the ancestors of the Parthians, right? Remember the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians? They were untouchable. They were massive. They were the greatest empires of all time. The Jews, they were nothing uh, then or today. They were, they, they were of little consequence. They were mosquitoes on the world scene. They were mice in the world of competing cats roaming through that region. And to make matters even more astonishing, now the Jews were just a province of Rome. They were, uh, they were owned by Rome, not even a country. They were occupied. They were shamed people in denial. The, their king wasn't even a Jew, not full-blown. They don't self-rule at all. They tried for a hundred years and it failed. So here's the picture. Ambassadors of the formerly great, but now gasping for life, as all human empires must eventually do, the ambassadors of the formerly great empires of the East have come to humiliate themselves, to prostrate them and their governments before a tiny infant king uh, of, no, of a nobody people, people who don't even have a kingdom. Uh, lighting a possible political firestorm and war. <laughs> Can we see the emotions that just aren't picked up in our Christmas pageants? Uh, think alienation, think embarrassment, think shame, fear, shock, confusion. Politically, the Magi are proclaiming, to one degree or another, they're proclaiming allegiance to this new king. They're suggesting the new king is higher than their own king or queen. And they're proclaiming the allegiance a little bit of their king or submission, acknowledgement. In a symbolic sense, the king they represent becomes a, in a sense, a political vassal, maybe not officially. Not to mighty Rome. That might have been politically more savvy play. Not to Herod, 
but to a tiny infant king of a nobody, internationally uninfluential, non-organized people who were never, ever really great on the international scale. In fact, you know what? These are, these are people who have reason to hate your country. It's a weird scene. The Magi would have expected when they arrived to find a castle, a throne room, royalty, pageantry, advisors, other Magi who were Jewish, wealth. But you know what? They found a young girl with her husband, uh, probably living in poverty. Very confusing. Nothing like they had ever witnessed. I imagine they second-guessed themselves over and over, but to their credit, they did it anyway. I'm sure they had lots of stories to tell over a few meads when they got home. So here is what God has signaled for this significant kingdom move, and I'm going to suggest it's a gospel presentation. He first made a shamed temple priest who couldn't believe, and uh, an angel. He made Zechariah his first silent proclaimer of his return. That's going to be the last podcast in our seven-part Advent series on Zechariah. Don't miss that one on Christmas Eve. Then God's intentional gaze falls upon a humiliated and shamed Jewish. That's the last podcast. She was rescued from her humiliation. She was made blessed. She was raised up, remember? She experienced a galiao joy. She became the mother of the Son of God. Now, if all of that wasn't strange and wonderful enough, now God's anointing and calling comes upon uncircumcised, unbelieving Gentiles. Are you with me? Not only former enemies of the Jews, but former conquerors of the Jews. They were anointed, the Magi, to be God's prophets. Isn't that wonderful? to come and worship and bow the new king of the Jews. What? And they are the first to proclaim Jesus king. I mean, along with probably all the appropriate political regalia, the gifts and proskuneo, the bowing. And it was these ambassadors who first proclaimed Jesus as being greater than Herod, greater than even Caesar Augustus. Wow. What a story. Um, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper I'm I'm wondering what God was thinking. See, God has elected his next prophets. They're Gentile, unbeliever, non-Abrahamic ambassadors of former enemies who are now vulnerable, who had now just seen how fluid and powerless humans' actual power really is here because their government's flagging. God doesn't rub their noses in their stuff. He doesn't go for revenge. No, he pursues, rescues, and raises them up. He gives them a personal invite. They're now on the A-list. He makes it pretty easy for them. They go to the place where they were clearly shown to go by some miraculous star. They find their names, like I said, on the A-list, um, along with a couple of overlooked and shamed women, as well as a whole bunch of disenfranchised Jews. And he says, go right on in. You're expected. You don't need to do anything to come into the presence of this king. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't need to go to the temple with an offering. Uh, you're invited personally. This is God's advent, and you're here on his business, ultimately. Remember, God requires nothing of them. They don't have to sign a confession statement that Yahweh is God. They don't have to be circumcised. They don't need a, a baptism, right? They just, they're there for an official audience to worship the new and last king, not only the king of the Jews, but even the king of their people groups. What irony! I mean, you can't make this stuff up. They weren't invited to go to the Jerusalem temple, that could be expected, or to synagogues, or actually to the royal throne room in uh, Jerusalem. No, here are non-Jews 
given honor to Abraham himself, far beyond what they had earned or deserved. Yet like Abraham at the beginning of his long journey, he was willing to obey step by step and follow the direction of Yahweh. This king is the king of all people groups, and he has always been. All right, a couple of aha moments, and there's more. So the Magi, the unbelievers, uncircumcised, non-Jews, are raised up to be the prophets of God to the palace, to Herod. This, this was Herod's invitation. This was Herod's gospel presentation, if he could have only heard. And to the scribes, the religious who kept the scrolls, the theologians, right? The religious experts, the seminary professors, the pastors, They were Torah experts who wondered a lot about the Messiah. They prayed for the coming of the Messiah, that the Messiah would come. And God sends to them unbelieving Gentiles with their invitation. Uh, Not what they were expecting. Once again, God's writing history. So the unbelievers become the gatekeepers to God's holy of holies. Think about that for a second, right? It's almost laughable. They were told mysteries that the scribes and the experts, the Jewish scribes and experts, had no clue to. So we're told to follow the star. We're not Jewish, but we're following the star. Uh, Do you Messiah experts have anything to add that can help us? Okay. Not a lot of help. Thank you. Uh, We got to go. We have an appointment in the king of the Jews' court. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Wouldn't you love to have been a fly on the... the, uh, the walls of Herod at the point. Look, and all the Jewish experts needed to do was to consider one of the first Psalms of the scroll that every Jewish boy and girl would have memorized. Psalm 2, listen to this. Why do the nations, and nations, you got to think Parthia. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Well, think Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Parthia. And here's what they say. Let us break their chains, they say, and throw off their fetters. Well, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. By the way, I think this whole thing is is the Lord laughing at, at our unbelief and our need. And then he rebukes them in his anger, terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. By the way, that's where Herod was. <laughs> uh, but he wasn't talking about Herod. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Think Jesus in Bethlehem. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Think of the proskuneo, uh, the the offering of of wealth, the submitting. Psalm 2.9, you will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, so you magi, be wise, magi, be warned, you rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun, and this would imply kissing the hymn. This would be proskuneo, proskuneo, the sun, lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Not just Herod's wrath. (laughs) All of these have so many elements of the Christmas story. Blessed the Psalmans are all who take refuge in him, which is exactly what their countries were doing. Hindsight, they say, is twenty twenty, and the Jewish experts, at least there's no record of them bringing up Psalm 2. So God picks Gentiles to be his ordained ambassadors of good news to the palace. He 
there Gentiles, unbelievers, are picked to be the fulfillment of Psalm 2, where a Gentile Jewish convert, meaning not a true Jew of birthright, king sits on the throne. All Herod had to do was to join his former enemies, admit his real need, his alienation, his desire for purpose, value, and worth. We've talked about that in a previous podcast. And to give his need as a loyalty gift. He didn't even need to bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Just bring his need, his empty hands. All he had to do was bring his crown that never quite fit on his head anyway. Lay it down. No need to be circumcised, recircumcised, you know, whatever. Baptized, recatechized as a Jew. No sacrifice needed. Um, no mikvah baptism of cleansing. This permanent reattachment was not based upon anything that Herod did. Nothing he had done ever disqualified him for this advent. Just come, Herod, proskuneo, the real king of the Jews, not you, not yourself. And then you will become a real Jew, a legally adopted son with full birthright from Abraham. Finally, you will be the legally adopted son of God, the title for the God-ordained king of the Jews, Psalm 2, nothing more Jewish than that. And what would he have received finally? Once he bowed to Jesus, glory, adoption, eternal favor, do only a great king. Everything that he deeply, deeply jonesed for and, and needed, he would have gotten acceptance finally, real acceptance. What a laugh that God sent ambassador of the Parthians or maybe, or even the Nabataeans. It's as if God was saying, one thing you need to do, Herod, Lay your paranoia aside, your fractured, failed dreams and hopes, and come along with all of the other outsiders, including your perennial enemies, those you hate and fear, and bow with them at the feet of the infant king of the Jews. His kingdom is large, much larger than just Judea. And then you're going to get what you've long desired and more. It's not about you losing your power, um, right? It's never been about you. The king is now here. But he didn't. And uh, that's unfortunate. It's tragic. One last aha moment. Think of the picture as the Parthian, unbelieving, non-Jewish, non-kosher, unrighteous, uncircumcised Gentiles, when they have their audience with the king, the physical presence of the glory of God, are you you with me? God's Shekinah glory enfleshed. They're in full regalia. They bring offerings, sacrifices. They come in official audience proclaiming their allegiance and loyalty. What does that remind you of, even a little bit? Well, here's where my head goes. One day of the Jewish year when the high priest and all of his regalia enters the presence of God's glory, lays down the offering made up, in this case, of the blood of the goat, and all the promises and resolutions of the Jews to be faithful next year. So I'm going to suggest that, in a sense, these Parthian magi were kind of taking on a role of a high priest, and they're serving in the new Holy of Holies, Jesus. And that should surprise us. When we are ushered into God's presence in our Advent, we're told we become priests as well. That's what God does. He rescues those who are denied access to God's favor previously. He adopts them as his sons and daughters. He raises them up uh, in honor. Boom. I love it. How God communicates to the Gentiles and Gentiles speak, not through angels, but through a star, something they might have been watching from uh, from uh, Parthia. But notice something. The star gets them as far as Jerusalem to find the Messiah, to be able to go and worship the Messiah, to do homage. They needed revelation. 
they needed Micah 5 2, and right? Uh, this is Matthew 2 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people, Israel. They needed revelation to get to Jesus the Savior. I mean, that's something to take note of. So Jesus is acknowledged and worshiped by Gentiles who only have one verse, but is not found or even looked for by the sitting king, the religious scribes, the priest, or any other religious magi in Israel. Uh, And they have many verses. I mentioned Psalm 2. The message is this, all that is required is faith to respond to clear revelation, even if it's one verse. The Messiah has come and bids all worshipers to come. Um, So who won't come? Well, one, those who think that they have an end with God through religion or family or culture. Or two, those who are in position of power, like Herod. Or three, those who cannot or won't receive and believe revelation by faith. Yeah? All right, we need to wrap this podcast up. Who is this gospel presentation for? I'm thinking of people who have really been something special here. They've achieved something here. They, they were on the top of the heap. They were wealthy, powerful influencers. They had it made, then something happened, and he or she crashed, um, and wondering if it's over. So think of professional sports players who blow out a knee, or uh, somebody who took a hit in the dot-com crash, or who's being financially shredded in, in the inflation, or uh, fill in the blank. Um, you have an invite this Advent to come and lay down your need, lay down your pain, lay down your disappointment, your sense of being a failure, uh, lay it down to the incarnated God who truly bestows purpose and honor up to the most broken of people here. You can come. Uh, you can. I said this was a six-part series at the beginning, but we're adding a bonus one. I was going to do the Magi and the Shepherd together, but I can't. So we're going to add uh, one of them for shepherds. We're going to do it the midweek just to stay on schedule to finish with a podcast on the priest Zechariah on Christmas Eve. I want to take just a second to thank the team at lifeaudio.com for their partnership with us. You can go there and find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts. Well, until next time, first of all, Merry Christmas, and then take heart child of God. Hey friend, I'm Brooke McLaughlin, host of the Everyday Prayers podcast, a ministry of million praying moms. And I'm here to invite you to partner with God for the hearts of your children on the daily. Our goal at Everyday Prayers is to help moms understand and pray God's word. Join us each weekday as we share insights from God's word for today's Christian mom. Tune in to the Everyday Prayers podcast in your favorite app or by visiting lifeaudio.com.